Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, just stay with weather for a moment because, of course, a status yellow snow and ice warning has been issued by Met Air and it comes into force from four o'clock today and it will remain in place until 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. And because of that, commuters have been warned to expect potentially hazardous driving uh, conditions, particularly in areas of higher ground. And that's obviously going to be due to ice, sleet and even snow and the threat of these isolated thunderstorms. Now, I think the worst of the snow and the very cold wintry weather I think it's going to be more north we might escape it but they have put in a status yellow snow and ice warning for the entire country so if you're driving later on this evening anytime tonight and obviously tomorrow morning drive please with extreme care and we have this cold snap and it's looking like it's going to be with us across the next few days tomorrow's going to be another cold day Uh, Saturday um, wintry showers again on uh, Saturday again chilly just 4 to 8 degrees and Sunday a more unsettled day as well so this kind of cold spell uh, with us for the next few days and across the weekend and as the cold spell arrives Met Aram they've just put out their monthly review you know they do it at the st- beginning of every month when they look back at the previous month and I don't think it'll come as a surprise to any of us to hear that la- the December just gone Met Aram tell us that seven of the countries country's 20 weather stations recorded their highest ever uh, maximum temperatures for December. It was a very, very mild month indeed. And some of these records have stretched back for the last 60 years. All air temperatures right across the country were above the long term average for a, a December. Shirkin Island saw their highest average temperature for the month since records began. And the overall highest temperature that was recorded in December was at the Phoenix Park in Dublin 14.6 degrees and that was on New Year's Eve so as I say don't think that will come as a surprise to anyone everybody was talking about what a mild month uh, December was you're very welcome along to the programme John Paul taking your calls at our new number 0818 103 103 our texts and whatsapps are up and running already some of them coming in thank you for those to 0862 103 103 and it would be remiss of me not to speak to all of the women today and to wish everybody a happy Nolig Naman. And there's a lovely piece in today's Examiner written by Joyce Fegan, who looks at the and she looks at the customs going back centuries to see how this day came about and what how 
women's little Christmas and what are the origins of it. And it does seem to be more of a Cork thing, Southern Ireland, West Coast, West Cork in particular, for some reason, according to uh, this article by Joyce uh, Fegan. She says, for example, that we we have Cork to thank for Nolignaman as well as parts of uh, Kerry. Nolignaman, Women's Christmas, January the 6th, was celebrated mostly in the southwest. Large parts of Ireland claiming that they'd never heard of the custom before it became probably a little bit more popular with younger women to get out and about. For, for many years, there was other parts of the country never, you know, the 6th was the Feast of the Epiphany and wasn't one that was celebrated by women. The actual custom is all to do with letting women rest up at the end of the Christmas period. The idea being that they had worked so hard, particularly on Christmas Day, which was which is deemed men's Christmas. And if a man wanted to help out on Christmas Day back in previous generations, he could face the wrath of being called an old woman woman and told her sit down it wasn't your place now women visited one another and visited their homes on the 6th of January sharing a cup of tea having a little bit of a uh, chat some did go to public houses but mostly it was to do with visiting women in other in other homes rather than going out and having an alcoholic drink. Then by the 1950s, the entire tradition seemingly had almost died out. Then in the last few years, it underwent this huge revival. A lot of that is to do with social media. Also, a lot of it has to do with hotels. Many hotels, you know, January the 6th and those kind of first few weeks of January can be very quiet. So many of the hotels putting on specials like dinners, nights out for women or offering afternoon tea etc and I think that then gained momentum and it gained uh, uh, popularity. Now there are many Irish folk rituals associated with today. Uh, This is according to historian Marion McGarry. The day was seen as a reward for all the hard work over the Christmas period where women then were free from all housework all roles and uh, the reversed between men and women according to the historian. Now leftovers it seems are synonymous with Little Christmas with it even making it into the Irish language. A common phrase being Nolig Naman Nolig Gan Ma which means women's Christmas no good Christmas and refer to the fact that there wasn't a lot left over by the time the 6th of January came. The biggest tradition didn't involve going to the pub didn't involve spending money but instead it was a day of visiting when women went to other women's homes cup of tea maybe the leftover the last of the Christmas cake and more than anything they just had a bit of a conversation Kerry and Cork seemed to be where it was celebrated most there is evidence though that Galway uh, women used to take walks on the 6th of January that was the custom uh, there and the Irish National Folklore Collection which is one of the largest folklore collections in the world they say that the women's Christmas is so-called because the men try to make everything as pleasant as possible for the women so that they can enjoy a peaceful and a happy time. The women haven't worked so hard to make the real Christmas Day a happy one for everyone else. And that's what is written into the Irish National Folklore Collection. So to all the men out there, that's what you must do today. You must try to make the day as pleasant as possible for the women folk in your life. And all of us women are to try to enjoy a peaceful and 
and a happy day. Your thoughts on that and are you celebrating? Are you doing anything uh, to celebrate or has the dreaded COVID put a kind of a, a dampener even on women getting out and celebrating Nolik at Naman? Somebody has been on uh, and is kind of tying it in with Nolik Naman and if they were deciding to have a a glass of vino today to celebrate Nolikman. This is to do with the minimum unit pricing that we spoke about earlier in the week and that came in, it kicked into force on Tuesday. Hi Patricia, says this, her name on this text? No. Hi Patricia, Happy New Year, many happy returns. I was in a local supermarket last night, one of my favourite bottles of wine that was on special offer over Christmas. Over Christmas I was able to buy it for €8.66. Normal price of that bottle of wine is €10. Spotted yesterday in my local supermarket, it has gone up to €14.99. Can't understand that. It was already at €10. So I would have been with this listener of the view if it was already €10, then it wasn't going to go up in price. It's crazy. I also purchased a bottle of cheaper wine in one of the larger supermarkets for €3.99. I was cooking mulled wine over Christmas. Couldn't justify paying a large sum of money more expensive on a bottle when you're making mulled uh, wine. That bottle that was three ninety nine has now gone up to seven euro and forty nine cent. Now you would have expected that one to go up because we were told that you can sell a bottle of wine. I think it was seven twenty. Is that the minimum you can sell a bottle of wine for? So I would have expected those ones that were on sale for three ninety nine, four ninety nine. I would have expected those to to go up. But I'm scratching my head on why the ten euro bottle has gone up to fourteen uh, ninety nine. Anyway, this listener says on the drive home it got me thinking. If you're heading out to a restaurant or a bar and you want a glass of wine with your dinner. Surely the price of wine will turn out to be more expensive than the meal itself. Over Christmas I was out and I had a glass of wine uh, in a bar with lunch and it was €7.50. Do I take it that that glass of wine is going to go up to a tenner? Uh, because obviously the restaurants will be will the restaurants be paying more for their wine buying it in? If that be the case, you could be paying more for the wine than you can be for the meal. And no, when we did our piece on minimum un- unit pricing, the price of wine inside in a bar gastro pub restaurant wherever they're not affected by minimum u- un- unit pricing because the price that bars and restaurants and publicans the price they already charge is already above the minimum unit pricing so you shouldn't see any difference at all and you can't you if you go into a restaurant or into a bar they can't say they're putting up the price because of minimum unit pricing because they never sold below the minimum level so it's only what you're buying off trade inside in the off licence or in your case inside in the supermarket. This listener ends her text with there won't be an elderflower left in the ditch here I'll have to start making my own wine. Seamus has contacted the programme today and is wondering and curious to know from any other listeners has anybody noticed a huge rise in their electricity bill after having a smart meter fitted? Uh, now I've had a I've had a smart meter fitted. I've had my first bill in, and actually it was slightly down. On but then I changed supplier, and I thought that's why it was slightly down because you know when they do offers to, for you to switch over. But I'll have to wait for my first proper two month bill to come in. 
don't know if it's anything to do with the smart meter though uh, Seamus remember the cost of electricity has gone up for everybody regardless of if you've had a smart meter fitted or not but let's just see anybody else notice since you've had a smart meter fitted has it done anything to increase it couldn't thinking about it it can't do anything to increase the price of electricity is it just a coincidence that electricity has gone up at the same time that Seamus had his smart meter uh, fitted your thoughts are welcomed on uh, that and we know that uh, schools opened this morning hopefully all the children and young people are getting on well on their first day back but of course some classes are expected to have to stay at home today as the schools reopened and this is because many principals are struggling with high levels of absentees of both teachers and special needs uh, assistants they've either contracted COVID-19 are there a close contact are there a, a confirmed case nightmare nightmare for principals our news reporter Mairead Tuig who went to Ballinora National School to talk to parents about the first day back and asking them about their concerns particularly around Omicron in schools It's a hard one probably to figure out uh, as normality and kind of structure for kids is important uh, it's so there's a lot of uncertainty. Everyone has to be concerned because no one knows what's going to happen or how it's going to spread. Like they're all under 12, so they're not vaccinated, and sure, no one knows. Sure, it's just we just have to just take it day by day. And sure, so the next week, two weeks will tell a lot. And it's a yet they seem to be a little bit excited for coming back to get. They haven't seen friends or anything in two weeks, and there was no play dates, no anything. So. I think they're looking forward to seeing their friends again. I think it's great for them, to be honest. I really do think it's great for them. I know, like, this, all this carry on, but they just really need their education. They need to be around other children. They've lost out so much. I think, look, like this Omicron variant they're saying is pretty mild. I mean, we're going to have to live with it. We're going into the third year of it. I just think life has to go on once we all just know what we need to do ourselves. If you're sick, stay at home, basically, you know. Child in the background. It's my first day back at school. Now, Mairead, while she was there, also spoke with the school principal of Ballinora National School, and that's Luke Foley. You know, it's brilliant to be back. Yeah. The, our, our fear along the way was that we wouldn't be able to open for any reason, so it's just brilliant to be back. Um, and as the deputy principal just said to me there, the sheer number of pupils who've returned, that's a great sign of confidence in the community. The community have been very, very good to us the whole way along. They've kept children at home, they've been cautious, they've been careful, and then the staff, similarly, they've kept a really good, positive, industrious atmosphere around the place. So we're very, very lucky. People say it all depends on the community you're in for COVID, but it depends on the community you're in for living. And we're very, very lucky where we are here now, I have to say. And I suppose you say that community, so that kind of thought is shared with parents as well, and they're not overly concerned bringing their kids back. Well, I would imagine they are concerned, but uh, not. it doesn't seem to be hugely nervous. I mean, it would make sense to be concerned. Uh, talking to a few people there this morning, uh, the people are happy the school is open. No, I won't lie, there's a lot of teachers absent, there's a lot of staff absent, we've SNAs, we've cleaners absent, and we've a lot of children not attending school today. But that goes back to that people are doing the right thing, people are doing what they're supposed to do, and that lets us keep the rest of the school open. That's, you can't ask for any more than that, really. And I suppose speaking to parents and kids coming in, they're excited to see each other, haven't seen each other in the two weeks, and that's important as well, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. I mean, a lot, I was, somebody was asking me how my Christmas went, and it was kind of like a bear, went into hibernation, ate too much, slept a little bit too much. That's probably normal, uh, but it's time to go back to real life now. It's time to go back to kind of the kids who should be in school, they want to be here, they want to be learning. Parents need to go back to work, need to go back to their commitments outside, and the staff want to be in, they want to be teaching. So, um, as I said to somebody else, like, we're like Liverpool at the moment, we've got a really strong bench. We had a lot of 
um, trainee teachers in training with us there for the first term. So they know the lay of the land. They're covering for our absent teachers, uh, our absent SNAs. We're in a very strong position with people from the PDST, and that's the primary school professional development unit with people who are seconded back in helping us. with a supply panel of people we know and we trust. So we're in a really, really good position. But I have to say, like, the heroes of the whole show have been the kids. Like, whoever comes in to sub, the kids know the routines. They know the sanitising. They, they come to school to learn, and they have learnt all that. We support what's being done at home. And I have to say, really, they've taken control. If ever I'm on yard duty and I forget to do some sanitising, oh, Mr Foley, you have sanitise now. They're really good at it. They understand why, and they help each other out. There's no finger-pointing, it's just helping each other out. So again, I think that adds to the whole environment in the school, and it's a lovely thing for them. Well done and thank you to everybody at Ballinora National School this morning for speaking with our news reporter uh, uh, Mairead Tuig. Now, many children and teenagers received e-scooters and e-bikes for Christmas this year. But the way some of them are using these scooters and bikes is now a cause for concern. Ballincollig-based City Councillor Derry Canty is fearful that some serious accidents could happen. And uh, Derry Canty joins me. Good morning to you, Derry. Good morning, Patricia. Happy New Year to you. Many happy returns and you're welcome to the programme. You're fearful of some of the speeds that can be reached on these e-scooters and uh, e-bikes. What have you witnessed? That's correct. I've uh, witnessed it myself and a number of uh, residents have been in contact with me. Those who use the regional park, they're down there in the mornings walking with their buggies, walking with their dogs and everything. And during the lockdown and during over the Christmas period, younger not the younger, they're more teenager than younger. They're flying through the regional park on these new e-bikes and they're up to 30 kilometres, so forth, on these bikes going waltzing through the, through the park. And they're very, very worried. There's elderly people down there in the morning walking. They're, you know, around the, the park for fresh air, which was good. We had some good, great days in the last few days. And they've been in contact with me again even yesterday that they're nervous about it. They're also nervous about walking up the main street because they're using the footpaths. They're not on the road. And I suppose, you know, if the law is the law, they're supposed to be using the road with those bikes. But again, there's no legislation. And this is what I'm on about, that people are fair. They're fair of all these young fellas on these bikes. And myself and my wife were for a walk a couple of days ago. And there was two lots of them came up the main street, two lots of the bike. And there was two on each bike. Oh, and that's not what those bikes, our e-scooters, are, are designed for. And I know we had a caller to the programme, Derry, it would have been before Christmas, who she said she was nearly knocked down. She was walking on a footpath on a main on main street in, in a town. And she said that a teenager on an e-scooter came up behind her. And she said, the problem is they're very difficult to hear because they don't make a sound. And she said before she knew it, he was on top of her. She stumbled. Now, luckily, she managed to, to balance herself but she's, she, it, it frightened her to the point that she said she was fearful of going out again to do some shopping Agree. I know I feel sorry for that person because I have seen it myself in the regional park I've seen it on the main street here in Badencali you just I guess if you're walking on one side and you're looking across and you see these lads coming up you can't say nothing to them because like that again you, you, you get the V sign back off them because some of them are very you know, they, they just don't they, they take life into their own hands on yeah. top of, of people. And there was a person already on the main street in Ballon College a number of weeks ago had the green man walking across the pedestrian crossing 
and a bike came through. Now, it wasn't a big bike or any scooter or anything, just an ordinary pedal cyclist, came through the pedestrian crossing, hit this woman, and she broke her wrist. Ah, goodness. Goodness. But and that's, that's, that's and, a, and I'm assuming none of them are wearing helmets or high-vis jackets so you no. can even see them coming. No. But you see, they're waltzing through the cars. Waltzing through the cars. And I know I've seen it in St. Patrick Street and in around the Washington Street place like that. I know these lads on these bikes are flying up and down. But they're, used, they're not using the, the bicycle lanes. Which yeah. was, you know, the point is bicycle lanes are for bicycles. E-scooters are different. They're exactly traveling at an enormous speed. And the point is, as you say, they come up behind you. Now, I'm not if killjoy or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. Fair enough. I know they use these maybe for going into college or going to school. And I, I can, I didn't go this morning just to see what was happening. Usually I do. I'm out walking the dog early in the morning. But the smaller kids going to school are on their pit push bikes with their, uh, the push their scooters with their bike legs. Like the old fashioned ones. Yeah, yeah. But just these new e scooters, boom, they're up between you before you know where you are. And they're the dangerous ones. And as you say, we don't know when they're coming. Because they're silent. Yeah. And they're not at night time as well, them. Yeah, I, and I know in a, pr- in a discussion we did previously on it, somebody was suggesting they don't even have a bell. They can't even ring. No. You know, whereas a normal bike, you, you would assume, will, will have a bell. They're they are deemed, though, the green alternative in that they reduce pollution and they provide a great alternative to public transport. They are being pushed by the government in, in many ways. They are, but who's buying them? It's not me, it's not our age group, it's the younger generation, fair enough, they're using them. But the point is, if legislation was put into place exactly where we stand with them, do they, pay, they don't pay insurance on the road? If I have an accident or someone or a person, a neighbour, gets hit by one of these from the back and breaks his hip, who pays for that in the insurance? It is in the you person know, and on the, the e scooter, or even if an e scooter crashes into a car. They, they have Damage. no insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if they get hurt, does my insurance pay for them? Yeah, I, good point. Good point. Even if it was their fault, whose insurance pays? Now, Owen on, on Twitter to at C103 Cork says, laws have been drafted for e-scooters. They have also been approved, uh, but these laws have been approved but have not been enacted. This leaves private e-scooters in a difficult position while the focus seems to be on providing for rental scooters. Any idea when the drafted approved regulations will be uh, put in place? And we are waiting for this legislation to be enacted. It was approved under the new road traffic bill. Have you any idea on when that's going to be put into well, as you know, Patricia, as you know yourself, how long is this uh, piece of string? This has been going back in until there'll be something else wrong with it. Now, I know the e-bike company was on to me yesterday and they want to meet up with me to discuss things with them and everything like that. But in the meantime, there is nothing to stop the kids. Are no legislation say you can't go on the footpaths. You can't be on the road without a, 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 a yellow jacket or a helmet on you. Because the speed there, when we're stopped in traffic, in cars, say, coming up to a traffic light, they can waltz up between you and waltz around the side of you, and they're gone. There seems to be no control. Like, if they're on the road, 
are the, is there whose insurance is going to pay for it? Yeah, and I know local authorities are, are, are have been given the power to set a lower 20 kilometre speed limit, but even going at 20 kilometres, which is what is contained in the new bill, seems very excessive. Uh, Seamus says they should have to pay tax and insurance if they can reach speeds of up to 20 kilometres uh, plus. And a lot of people are agreeing with saying, well done to Councillor Derry uh, Canty. They are the bane of our lives, says one uh, listener. So a lot of people not happy about these e-scooters. Is there parental responsibility though? Are we back to the good old parental responsibility again? But you see, you can have all the parental uh, in, in place but the lads when they go and they meet up with their friends or they're going down, down to anywhere they're going to, any park or anywhere or even to school who's with them it's not their parents. Mm-hmm. They're up on the road Boom! Down the road they go. They're begging their back and they're into school. What's, what's worrying me is when the college goes back to school in uh, uh, reopen the MTU you now and UCC, we have a lot of students in and out of there. And like, you go into Straight Road or you go into Model Farm Road, there's no uh, facilities like uh, bicycle lanes, or, which we don't want too many of them because they're, uh, they're cutting down the, the, the width of the road in relation to buses and cars and stuff like that. But they're on the footpaths. And it's basically our biggest worry is that here is that you have a lot of elderly people, as I said. You have other communities down there, disability gay organisations using the regional park as well. But the lads are back at school at the moment. It'll probably ease off a small bit until the summer again. But the point is, my thing is we should have everything in place, whether it's going to be insurance, whether they have to use helmets, whether they can go to certain areas or something like that. For that, long ago, it was a member to the, the skateboards. Yeah. They were everywhere around the road and on the foot. But, they, but they, these, they need to be banned from footpaths, for sure. Basically, because, I again, like, uh, this person that rang me was coming out of one of the shops and she was pushing her buggy out in front of her with her child inside this. And this fell on the, on the, the scooter just Fly. Yeah, you see. No, another, if she was another two minutes or another half a second earlier, that bike would have gone into the side of the buggy. Yeah, gee, this is from James in Formoy. says, on the matter of e-scooters where I live in Formoy, it's just awful. I live in an estate and the children and teenagers seem to think that nobody else uses the road in our area. When it's dark, you can't see them on the yeah. scooters. That's the point Derry's making. There's no lights. It's actually frightening, Patricia. Someone is going to get hurt. My car has scratches because of these uh, scooters. Yeah, and nobody's going to be paying for James to replace the scratches on his car in, in Formoy. But Patricia, the point is, if someone gets badly, which I believe there's a lot of young kids after being injured already falling off them, or, you know, hitting cars, as you say yourself, the point is, injury is going to be a big an insurance. And we, unless we put the cart, we're again, as usual, the cart before the horse, we're discussing it. We look at Europe, take a, a, a page out of their book and see what they've come up with, because... They have the facilities out there. They have the roads out there. We don't. We Our towns and villages were not built for e-scooters and all this. No, they're good. And I suppose they'll keep the cars off the road and all that. But they're a danger to everyone, to people walking and to people driving. 
If we had enough and adequate cycle lanes and they, they're designed to be used on cycle lanes, that would be fine. And that's why it's going to be hard to compare it with other countries because many other countries have way more. Their roads are better. They have cycle lanes, much more cycle lanes than we have. They do, but you see, our roads are never built for that. No, thing, you know, no, they, no, that's, that's in our Europe, You go to Europe, you go to Brussels, you go anywhere, Amsterdam, bicycles, bicycles. We grew up with it. Now, these are only coming up to us. This is only coming on track, down track to us, in e-bikes and electric bikes. You know, a lot of people are right. Would love to have one. But I, for one, will not get another one. Although I'm being invited by the company to meet him. Can you imagine me on top of a bicycle at my age? <laughs> your age has nothing to do with it. Just, I know, but just like, be God, careful. Oh, I know, I know how you are, what your balance is like. You need to have good balance. Yeah, yeah, Heidi, yeah. Heidi says insurance and tax. We pay it as motorists. Therefore, scooters, e-scooters, should be asked to pay it as well. Uh, you've certainly sparked off debate amongst our listeners here. A lot of people 100% agreeing with you, Derry. Listen we leave it there no doubt we'll speak again on it in the meantime stay safe and avoid those scooters and uh, thanks for joining us not at all you're welcome Patricia. good morning to you bye 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 that is Balancholic based uh, councillor Derry Canty 180818 103103 our brand new phone number Court Today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie C103 has a shiny new phone number. Shiny new phone number. Let's make it up. 0818-103-103. Save it to your phone now. Save it to your phone now. Let's make it up. 0818-103-103. The new number to call C103. Cork County Council have applied to the Department of Community and Rural Regeneration for funding to cover the cost of a new cultural quarter from McCroom Town in a post-bypass era. Joining me to discuss what's envisaged is Cork North West Fine Gael Dáil Deputy Michael Creed. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And a happy new year to you. And now, the same to you. How important is an investment like this for the town of McCroom? Well, it's, it's hugely important because, as you know, the McCroom Bypass, which is a €280 million Euro project, is currently underway. And in a post-bypass era, a town that, by virtue of its infrastructure, presently attracts almost unwanted traffic that's just passing through town would have to compete for passing traffic. And it's therefore critically important to improve the public realm. Um, so we've seen, in fact, this week... Investment has started, construction work has started on the uh, Briary Gap. Uh, that's really important. and long, also. long overdue. Long overdue, and there were uh, a myriad of reasons for that delay, but it started at last. Great. Uh, and that's funded under the Rural Regeneration Fund. And this now is, in itself, relatively small funding because it's what's known as Category 2 application. It's to bring this project to shovel-ready status. So the council, and I acknowledge the great work being done by the council and councillors in the area to bring this to this level. Uh, it's to bring it now to a shovel-ready status so that it can apply for what will be Category 1 funding, under which, for example, the Bantier Sports Field uh, development was, was approved funding and is practically completed now, and that's another fantastic project under rural regeneration. So this is really important for the town. The Protestant church, uh, the banks of the salon, link, linking both sides of the bridge, um, the Mill Race, which is a fantastic piece of McCroom's 
uh, heritage, which is practically, I suppose, unknown to many people, even in the town, because it's derelict and overgrown. And I think there's a great opportunity now to, to bring that to the fore. And I think all of these combined will play to the strength of the town and enable us, to, as I said, to compete in a post-bypass era and to put our best foot forward. And, and McCroom, you know, is a town that has really suffered due to, uh, you know, the traffic uh, gridlock. Uh, this will be really well received by residents of the town, won't it? Well, it will because, I mean, the bypass will first and foremost allow the town to breathe and for the, the residents in the town um, who have put up with unwanted, heavy articulated traffic in particular, that's really, really important. But what it will also do is allow the town to reclaim its natural hinterland. So people who were, for reasons of traffic, currently migrating to Killarney on the west or to Ballincollig on the east or, or north and south, as the case may be, will now have an opportunity to reclaim you know, their natural uh, rural town of McCroom, and I think that's really important. But it's also important that the town steps up to the plate and, and, and puts its best foot forward. So this investment in the public realm, as the term goes, um, in terms of, you know, the Briary Gap, but now also, you know, redeveloping the Protestant Church and Castle Street, that whole domain there, including the Castle Grounds, the Market Square, uh, and linking that with the, the Salon River, uh, the riverside walks, the middle race, uh, that's really, really important. And I think that kind of investment is what will enable the town to reclaim uh, its its natural hinterland. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's 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 a really ambitious, but it's a, it's a fabulous uh, project. Has the funding been granted? Yeah, funding yeah. Of, oh, of of just under four hundred thousand uh, has been approved today, and okay. that will enable the 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 council to bring it to shovel ready status. And I suppose it's important now that the the council and I've already been in contact this morning with them to kind of say drive on now because the the department will be advertising. Uh, in quarter two of of 2022, which is before uh, the end of June, for what are called Category 1 projects. And I would hope that this project will be able to submit then for funding for a, you know, to proceed to construction. And what's happening in the meantime is there's a public consultation process as to what the public thinks, for example, should happen with the Protestant Church on on Castle Street um, and how that public space can be reimagined. You know, you can you know, the concerts, uh, art exhibitions, viewing galleries, um, recitations, whatever. I mean, it's, you know, the possibilities are in there. Yeah, I mean, ju- just look at what St. George's, what they, the gang have done in Mitchellstown with St. George's Church. Those old churches lend themselves perfectly for places yeah, and, like that. And it's smack bang in the heart of the town. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's terrific. The Castle Domain, the Market Square. And as I said, virtually on the banks of the river as well. Okay, this certainly is exciting. And seeing as we've mentioned uh, the bypass, all going according to plan. When is it expected to finish? Um, the expected date was the second half of 2023. Now, to be yeah. fair, uh, they've lost time due to lockdown, but there is phenomenal progress made. I took the opportunity over the Christmas period to walk some stretches of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose I shouldn't really <laughs> say that because it's not really advised to, but I've been... Yeah adjacent to it on a few occasions and there is phenomenal progress but I mean it's that's important but it's actually what's happening in the town is nearly more important though because as I said the Briarly Gap this project 
the new college, De La Salle College, for example, which was approved just before Christmas, the reinvestment in the public, uh, in Macroom Community Hospital, which is nearing completion. Uh, these are all really important about the post-bypass era for the town and, you know, putting in place the necessary infrastructure. And I'm really pleased that this fund, the Rural Regeneration Fund, which was a fund that was established when I was in Cabinet myself, which has already delivered in terms of the Briary Gap, is continuing to deliver from McCroom and has done in other areas in the constituency as well. OK, good news certainly for McCroom. Listen, Michael, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to yeah. you. That is Fianna Gael, uh, Dáil Deputy, Michael Creed. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. People commenting on the e-scooters. A lot of people not happy about the amount of e-scooters that are now out and about. In particular, it's young people on footpaths or, as Councillor Derry County was saying, using the regional park in Ballincollig, which is a very popular area for walking. Uh, Martin in Mitchellstown says, in the dark, it's absolutely impossible uh, to see them because they don't come with uh, lights. Um, they're on top of you before you know it because they're very silent as well. He says laws need to be enforced uh, read these e-scooters where we have legislation they're just waiting for it to be enacted Eleanor says believes all bicycles and people using bicycles should have tax and insurance on them on a personal note she had an incident uh, with a person on a push bike on Shandon Street before Christmas. The bike ended up scraping the side of Eleanor's car. Eleanor says, I've absolutely no comeback as she goes through her own insurance. She says that all bikes and not just the e-scooters and the e-bikes she said all of them she feels should have some kind of registration like a registration plate a little bit like that we have in cars and then somebody sent on a piece from England and the amount of e-scooters and people getting involved in accidents but this is from last July it was police in Plymouth actually released graphic pictures as part of a warning after an e-scooter rider was taken to hospital where it was feared that he had life-threatening injuries and uh, they actually it was a blood they could see the blood-soaked road and the police in Plymouth decided to release it just to remind people of riding these electric scooters in a public place in in the UK of the dangers of them if you come off one of these bikes and if you come off on these bikes at high speed and looking at the e-scooter the e-scooter in the photograph looks absolutely perfect but the man who was on the bike and had to be taken to a hospital the amount of blood that was on the road I mean it's just truly truly shocking so they they are and are causing a lot of accidents people just need to be so careful because somebody else is making the point on the e-scooters um what will happen is about the e-scooters now is that there will be so many claims coming in from people on these bicycles no fault to the injured people then you'll see how fast they'll bring in insurances they won't be able to afford all of the claims watch this uh, space happy women's little Christmas and uh, happy women's little Christmas to you too yeah, I think Derry County is making the point if he is involved in an accident you know if you're driving a car and somebody through no fault of the driver person on the e-scooter crashes into you and that person gets injured at the moment you know who is your insurance pays for it because they don't have insurance I think insurance going forward certainly is going to be the big one that is going to have to be uh, looked at and I know on the legislation that they're talking about passing it says in that that they don't need insurance but I think that listener is right if there's if and hopefully we won't see a lot of accidents but if we do 
and insurance then starts to get hit, we may have to have to look at it uh, differently. Um, and I don't know how it operates in other countries, where other countries, anyone on an e-scooter or an, an e-bike, if they have to have insurance or not. But they can do 20 kilometres an hour is the speed that they can get, get up to. And I think somebody said as well, they can get up to 30 kilometres in some cases. Like you come off something at 20, 30 kilometres and you're not wearing a helmet, it's you're the one who certainly is going to suffer because of it. 0818103103 on antigen tests and the particular brand that we were talking about yesterday, Gen Ru. Mary says, Patricia, I have 10 packs of Gen Ru antigen tests which I purchased they're now being pulled off the shelves I wonder what I'm to do with mine says Mary and I've been trying since I heard the Health Products Regulatory Authority yesterday advised the removal of these Gen Ru brand of antigen uh, tests and that's because the regulator had received over 550 complaints from consumers in recent days saying that they've received a false positive uh, result from using this particular brand of antigen tests. So the HPRA said to retailers they should remove the tests from sale but do it on a voluntary basis and this is pending further investigation which is ongoing by the Health Products Regulatory Authority. While all of these diagnostic tests have the potential to provide a false negative or a false positive, the HPRA said that the rapid rise in the reports of false positives relating to the Genru test was significant and therefore it warranted the precautionary removal from sale and further investigation into it is ongoing. Now as the investigation is ongoing the regulator is advising the public not to purchase them. Hopefully you won't be able to purchase them in shops because the shops are removing them on a voluntary basis but they're also saying to people if you're purchasing your antigen tests online to make sure that you're not purchasing at the moment this Genru brand. The test uh, which is produced by Genru Biotech. From what I can gather, they're a Chinese-based company, but it does have CE certification, which means it is deemed to meet EU safety, health, and environmental protection uh, requirements. So it did, it did, it is, it it does have does carry the CE sign. But the HPRA is also saying that anybody who received false results, they're encouraged, please, to report it to them to the HPRA for that antigen test, or indeed for any others. But that doesn't really solve what Mary is to do. And when I found out yesterday that this is what the advice was, was to the for retailers should remove uh, the tests on a voluntary basis and it looks like most of the retailers are. But it doesn't say then for the likes of Mary who've, who've already purchased them and have them at home. I would say hang on to them because I imagine we will we'll wait to see what comes out of this investigation by the Health Products Regulatory Authority. If they find that there's anything wrong with this particular brand and they will be telling the retailers uh, to to remove them, not on a voluntary basis, but they'll be forced uh, to remove them. I'm assuming then, will they put something in place that people who still have the tests will be able to get a refund uh, on them? I would say hang on to them, Mary. I would be very slow to use one of them because we're hearing so much about the false positives. And it seems to be more false positives than false uh, negatives. Uh, and I'm sure you're not on your own because I know yesterday as well when we mentioned them, we had other people saying that they had them as well and didn't know what to do with them. So I'd say hang, hang on to them for now and let's wait and see what happens when this investigation by the Health 
Products Regulatory Authority comes to a conclusion. And thanks to Ted Kelleher, he's with a company called First Aid and Hygiene Supplies. They're based in McCroom. He was listening to the programme yesterday and he was hearing us talk about supermarkets and chemists who were not able to get supplies of antigen tests. So he contacted us this morning to say that at First Aid and Hygiene Supplies in McCroom, they actually have antigen tests in stock that they would be willing to supply to shops if, if some shops to their usual suppliers are having difficulty getting them. So that's First Aid and Hygiene Supplies in McCroom. Thank you. Uh, that was Ted uh, Kelleher. Thank you for contacting us with that one. Uh, Ted also into us there on defibrillators. We'll leave those because we're going to get to that in just a moment. Anne was on to say, oh, this is on the smart meter. So we had a listener, one of our first texts in this morning was from a listener who reckons since he got his smart meter installed that the price of his electricity had gone up and I was wondering was it just a coincidence because unfortunately the cost of electricity has gone up and says that they also had a smart meter meter fitted. It's on an outside bit of land where there's only an electric fence drawing off it. The meter reading doesn't change as the draw off is so little. She said the bill used to be 21 euro and she got a bill yesterday for 57 euro which is a huge huge rise indeed has it anything to do with the smart meter I would be getting on to your supplier Anne and see or is it just to do with the shock all of us are going to get when we receive our electricity bills whether you move to a smart meter or not because we know and it has we, we have been warned that electricity prices are going up one of the reasons why the government has said that they're going to be giving every household 100 euro hasn't been a lot of talk about that uh, since it first got announced before Christmas and I think it's going to be by March before everyone's going to be getting a kind of a grant from the government almost and every household will be getting €100 Euro towards the cost of their electricity because the government are aware of how much electricity is going up by and it really is starting to bite now as the first of the electricity bills come in. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs a teleporter driver is wanted for the Bishopstown area. Industrial plumbers are required for a job based in Blarney and a construction worker is wanted for Mitchellstown. For any of those positions, send your CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. An engineering company in the Mallow area, they're looking for a buyer planner. CVs to Dennis at walchengineering.com or you can call Dennis at 87 2596035 Internal Sales Administrator is required for veterinary wholesale that's in the Mallow area CVs please to Douglas at acravat.ie and Experienced Child Banter is required for three year old twins that's a Monday to Friday position and it will be in the children's own home it's in the Fremount area 086 839-7393 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more This is C103 Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie There's a fresh call on the government to progress a new law to punish those who damage defibrillation 
Innovators are life boys. To discuss this further, I'm joined by John Fitzgerald. John is chairman of CRF, which is the National First Responder Group. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. It's uh, CFR, Community First Responders. CFR, yeah. sorry, I have, yeah. it, I have to think in the wrong, the wrong place. My apologies. You're, right. You're fine. Now, uh, now, are you seeing an increase in the number of defibrillators being vandalised, John? Uh, Patricia, to tell you the truth, it, it, it happens every now and again, but just over the Christmas period, there was four different incidents just right, right around the country, and it's infuriating, and it's, it's actually very, very serious. And I, I'll try and explain why. Firstly, most of these uh, machines are placed by communities. It's fundraise money, people knocking on doors, shaking buckets or head shaves or whatever they need to do, and they fundraise and fundraise and they place these machines for the good of the community. When somebody is, it goes into what's called cardiac arrest, their heart stops beating and they, and they stop breathing. If something doesn't happen within 8 to 10 minutes, they, that person is going to die. But often, if we can start CPR early and, and use an AED early, uh, there's a a 60 to 70 percent chance of that person uh, being revived if you get to them in a few minutes. So having these AEDs out there in the community that are readily accessible is a huge benefit for those people who go into cardiac arrest uh, on the streets or in shops or in local factories or whatever. Uh, so when they are interfered with or damaged like this, it's really, really serious. You, what you're actually doing is removing the chance for life for a person. That's what you're doing in in, in, in essence. So it's, yeah, lives can be lost. I mean, that's the reality here. Uh, yeah. if, if one of these defibrillators isn't available when it's needed at that moment in time, we're talking about lives being lost. Potentially, yes, because you're removing the opportunity for life. Because yeah. if somebody's in cardiac arrest, they need a few things to happen. We, we operate a system called uh, Chain of Survival. And the Chain of Survival has four links. It's the old-fashioned, it's very, very simple and straightforward. Four, t- four things have to happen for someone to have a good chance of survival. And the first thing that is, someone needs to dial 999 or 112 and, and contact the National Armed Service. When they get through to the National Armed Service dispatch, the dispatcher will encourage them to kneel down beside the patient and start CPR. Then they'll ask somebody locally or that person to go and get an AED. And a lot of these AEDs are actually registered with the National Armed Service. So that one in, I know that one in Blarney is. So somebody would say within 500 metres or a kilometre of, um, of, uh, of that machine has an arrest. The actual, uh, the Armed Service will actually tell that, tell somebody on scene, go send someone to get that machine in Blarney, to there on one, one, uh, Blarney Woolen Mills, and that's, they'll give them directions to get to it. So if somebody has, goes to get the machine and it's not there or it's damaged or it's broken, there you go. Yeah. The chance for life is lost. Yeah, and, and as as you pointed out, ma- the majority of those defibrillators are put in place by local fu- fundraise money over the years. We've called out countless events that were happening to raise money for a local defibrillator. If they're damaged then and need to be replaced or repaired, are we back again to the voluntary groups trying to get the money together? Yeah, look, ah. there's a very sad story around this particular machine. Uh, this is the fifth time it's been damaged and the community have rallied around and business have rallied around and, and they have um, and they've replaced the box, but or repaired the box. This time, it's not repairable. It's repair. It's damaged beyond repair. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, uh, the local group, uh, Blarney Community First Responders, haven't been able to get out there and fundraise. So 
that's why the machines have been down since the 18th of December. So they're they're hoping to get they're getting getting a few bob together and they're hoping to be able to go and and buy a machine in the next week or two. But they haven't got the funds just yet. That's so shocking. It, it, so you can't keep going back to the community and no. say it's damaged again, no. it's damaged again. Because people are saying, are you having a laugh now or what? And it's covered with CCTV. They've gathered all the information. They've handed it over to Gardaí, and there is an investigation pending. Um, or beg your pardon, in progress. So there's that. But can I say? Can I tell you also, uh, Patricia, in the Cork area, in in Cork alone, uh, the, the community first responders have 96 ADs of their own that they bring around the place. But they've also placed another 76 in the community. And that's just the responders. There's other organisations doing the very, very same thing as well. So there's lots of these machines out there. So they need protection yeah. uh, and education. And we, and, is, is, and we have to have them in public areas. There's no point having them locked away inside in a business premises. They, they, people have to ha- have, have access to them. Patricia, you wouldn't lock up a fire extinguisher. Yeah, that's true. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. I don't want to simplify it too much, but it's as simple as that. Uh, we have, and education is the key, and and uh, likes of Blarney and Carrigaline and Cork City, first ones, they're just ones off the top of my head now. There's a huge amount of group, uh, groups in, 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 in the Cork area. They're doing tremendous uh, work in the community, um, uh, highlighting um, CPR and the use of AED. Carrigaline actually have a, a huge event every year up to the pandemic where they were teaching thousands of people in it over a weekend. There are huge events going on in, in the Cork area and it's very, very demoralising for everybody because we, it's a system that takes life and we all, we all, we're all disappointed I, my own group is in Dunlavin and I hear about these these attacks I'm disappointed I'm frustrated so oh, what no. are people at what are people doing what are they thinking about you know and what punishment is currently in place if somebody is found guilty of vandalising a defibrillator well it's, it's pretty much comes under the um the street vandalism or just beer graffiti or damaging street furniture or breaking a light or something. We want, we're promoting a bill that came came uh, through the Senate uh, in 2017 and it's called the Life uh, Lifesaving Equipment Bill and it yeah. covers AEDs, their boxes, but also covers life boys because we have a big problem with life boys too. And of course, with the, um, with, with the, um, the, the um, amount of light boys are in the Cork area, especially around the rivers there and around the city. Right? You know, these need to protect it as well. And again, you wouldn't lock up a life boy, would you? Mm. You know, so these things have to be ready when they're needed instantly. But we're supporting, uh, supporting uh, the asking the TDs and censors to put get this bill through the doll as quickly as possible. And we're asking that there be a minimum of ten thousand euro fine and the uh, maximum of uh, five, beg your pardon, a maximum of ten thousand euro fine and a maximum of five years imprisonment for interfering with life saving equipment such as life buys and AEDs. You go so far as to jail the person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're removing the chance for life for, for, for a loved one, somebody's father, somebody's mother, a brother or sister. That's You're removing the chance for life. It's very, very serious and people need to start I don't want to be flippant, but these people need to start copying on. Yeah, you know, yeah. these. And they're put there by the community as well, for the community. Uh, you know, people went to the effort. And there's a whole effort. Forget about the money, just the time and the effort and the organisation of, of getting it, of organising the money, getting the AD, placing it, getting the electricians up, uh, making sure everything's working, putting extra lighting. All of these things have to happen. Like, it just... You don't, it's, just, it's not just ticking a box, a lot of things. And furthermore, uh, Patricia, the, all these machines have to be maintained. They have a battery life and a, um, a, a pad life. So they're regularly maintained. A lot, a lot of groups do weekly, other groups do it monthly, but they have to go out and be, be inspected. So that's another effort that has to be And they're to be all, their volunteers do that? For the most part, yes. Now, yeah. there, there are some, you know, you have a fabulous uh, system in Cork City. You have a designated fire uh, uh, um, uh, um, 
vehicle within the fire service in Cork City that actually goes to cardiac arrest only. There's a team of, of uh, firefighters there that do cardiac arrest only as well. But And they would have placed some ADs in the area as well. So I'm sure the county council, local urban councils would have done as well. So they're not all volunteer ones, but we, the community first responders, put a huge amount out Absolutely, there. absolutely. You mentioned uh, CCTV cameras. Are the majority of the DFIBs do they have CCTV cameras monitoring them and are they in place to try to stop vandalism? Yeah, we, we do. We, we put them in place for a number of reasons, not just for vandalism, because sometimes when they go, people go and grab these AEDs, they just go and they don't get back to where they need to go. Uh, so we need to be able to find them sometimes, sometimes because after cardiac arrest and somebody has, 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 has passed away, um, the last thing you want is somebody knocking on your door demanding their AED so oh, no, be very, very careful yeah. so we, 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 we're mindful of that as well so the CC covers that as well but in the case of vandalism uh, it, it's a very very useful tool uh, to help the guard track whoever's done this you know and yeah. it, we don't have any stipulation of where to go or what to go we just get permission to, to put them up on buildings and we ask for the goodwill because all these boxes are thermostatically uh, controlled uh, so they need a, a, a electricity um, supply so the, um, we have to ask the, the owner of the premises can we use our electricity and often like like in, in Blandy Woolen Mills they've been come forward and they've given the, the local group the, uh, the electricity supply now it's not a lot of electricity but still a lot it's electricity it's a it's a, it's a trick electricity. Yeah, and people do it and, and people do it. I can see from so many of our listeners so annoyed and disappointed to hear that any one of these defibs would be interfered with. Uh, yeah. Eddie in Mahan said, aside of fining or punishing the people uh, responsible, I think they should be shown the importance of their use, train them in how to use a defib, uh, explain to them the consequences of somebody ending up in a hospital and lots of other people are saying, throw the, throw the book at these people. It is just shameful to think that any of these defibrillators would be touched uh, at all. And John, talk to me about the community first uh, responders. We're talking, you know, a lot of people are start the new year saying, you know, an idea maybe to take up a new year's resolution. And I'm always saying to people, it doesn't have to be about giving up something. It can be about taking up something. Great life skills. Yeah. Life-saving skills that you're, you you're absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right, uh, Patricia. And I've been banging on this for the last week and people I'm sure are sick of me t- saying it. <laughs> take up uh, take up a, a New Year's resolution. Take up some, do something positive. Learn CPR. It's a very simple, it's a life-saving skill and there are huge opportunities to learn. Uh, even in Blarney itself, they, I, I believe they do a free training uh, every every second month and I think it's the first weekend of the second month but if you get on their face page you'll find it there and again around Cargoline, Cork City Responders, they're all out there training the beauty and for the most time it's free. We, we teach you for free, yeah. You know, we, we and there's a lot of work done with the the National Ambulance Service Community Engagement Team. They're out and about now organising uh, a training session for CPR. As are the Irish Heart Foundation. There's a huge opportunity, and for the most part, it's free. You can learn for free, you know. And but if you want to go a little bit step further, we're always looking for more volunteers, as uh, it's a, it's 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 um. You, to be a community first responder, there's a little, there's a, a good bit more information you need to do, a few tests you need to do, and a few. Uh, not test, I beg your pardon. Um, courses. Uh, online courses, courses you need yeah. to do. You have all that stuff to do as well. And with the pandemic now, there's some extra, there's a good bit of extra stuff we need to do regarding uh, infection control and donning and doffing PPE uh, PP and, and that sort of thing. But it's all doable and safe. And, and you're a volunteer, you can do what you want. There's no compulsion on you to uh, do, any, do anything you don't want to do. You're a volunteer at the, at, at the end of the day and it's your time and you're doing it at your own expense. And we travel to calls in our own cars 
at her own expense as well. So you just put your hand up and say, look, I want to do this for three, four or five years and they'll be delighted to, uh, to take you on board, you know. And what, what an amazing thing to know that you learned a skill that saved somebody's life. It must be a great feeling, John. Look, uh, Patricia, there's so many people have learned CPR and just, we have so many stories about uh, people um, having learned CPR and a week and two later having saved somebody's life. And this it, CPR is the key. Early CPR is the key. And once you initiate that chain of survival, the uh, and the CPR started, the AD is on the way, whether it's the community first responders, the National Ambulance Service, the local fire brigade, or whoever, the AD is on the way once you make that 999 call. Uh, that's why it's so important. And again, if that AED is registered, and I'd ask anybody who is, hasn't got their AED registered with the National Armed Service to look into getting it done, you can contact the, uh, the National Armed Service or your local community engagement officer um, to do that and, and get it registered with the National Armed Service. And is it an easy skill, CPR? Is it an easy it is. skill to learn, it is. It? it is. I'll tell you how easy it is. The, um, the National Armed Service, when you dial 999 and ask, that you're asked and they've asserted that the patient's in cardiac arrest they'll encourage the patient or the person on scene to kneel down beside the patient and start CPR and they teach them to do CPR over the phone Wow Well but if you already have the skill how fantastic Well the thing is the thing is if you've learned before the quality of your CPR is Yeah Yeah, and it's very simple we're going to we're going to push down you place your hands in the the centre of the chest between the nipples just just right in the centre of the chest you push down two inches and you release two inches and you do that at a rate of about 120 per minute and you just keep on doing that and the ambulance service will will, uh, prompt you over the phone tell you what to do give you the rhythms and you continue that until the AD arrives Is it an urban myth that in your head you sing the BG staying alive? No, it's brilliant. Is Don't it? Worry about the <laughs> no, it's brilliant. It's, 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 it's only 100 beats per minute, but look, yeah. we have a saying, bad CPR is better than no CPR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody, you know? somebody says, would John suggest that all secondary school uh, pupils before they leave school should learn CPR? Send that person my name, <laughs> my number. I, absolutely. It should be taught in all the schools. In fact, in Scotland, they're actually teaching it in primary schools. So it should it should be it should be in all schools, and I'd even go as far to stick my head neck out now and say, before you get your driver's license, you should learn CPR. Yeah. I believe, Patricia, that in uh, you'll remember during the during the, during last summer there was a uh, a cardiac arrest at uh, at the uh, European Cup finals. I do, yeah, yeah. Uh, Everyone watched it unfold on TV. Yeah, in, indeed. Well, the um, in Denmark, we understand that in order to get your driver's license, you must have learned CPR. Oh, not fantastic. So everybody in pretty much everybody who can drive in Denmark no CPR so you can imagine those players standing around they initially they, they, first of all they recognised the emergency yeah. they started the CPR and then yeah. the emergency services came in their own medical te- team came in but it was all about recognition and getting the whole thing started quickly but that's that's the sort of thing you want Yeah, Ma- Monica says is CPR on children different to CPR on adults? Slightly different I, I'm not going to go into the slight difference yeah. slightly different uh, and we we have children there's children's CPR and infant CPR and there's a slight difference between the all but I'll tell you what ask my kids to go and do a course and the, the, uh, the and, and parents the parents of newborn babies it's a, it's a great fa- fantastic skill to learn uh, Mary says hi Patricia I just want to thank John and all his colleagues for what they do thankfully I've never needed to call them but you never know says Mary and that's the big one you, you never know the day or the hour when a family member may need CPR well, I give you, can I give you some national statistics yeah you can 
Um, we have an organisation in this country called the Out of Hospital Cardiogress Registry. In fact, there's only uh, three in Europe, uh, just a number of regional ones. We have a national one and there's two other national ones as well. But uh, we just got to report just before Christmas on, on 20, 2019. And in 2019, there were the, national, the, the, the emergency service in Ireland attended 2,638 uh, out of hospital cardiogress. These are people who would be out in the community going to sports events, sitting at home, uh, doing the washing up, uh, mowing the grass, out shopping, in work, whatever, and collapse and die without warning. 2,638 uh, times uh, in 2019 uh, that happened. 67% of them were, were male. And in 2019, uh, 190 survived. That's fantastic. They're great stats. They, they and, really uh, are. I'll tell you another math statistic. Uh, in 2019, 25% of those people who suffered a cardiogress had an AD, a pad placed on them before the emergency service arrived. And that's a mixture of community first responders and, uh, and pad AEDs. So 25% of cardiogress in this country are having pads on. We can't have people missing yeah, uh, we're, ba- we're back to where we started. This has exactly. to stop. Listen, John, thank you for that. And one final uh, comment in saying I had the local community first responders out in Mallow with us during the Christmas uh, period. They were with us very quickly while we were waiting for the ambulance to arrive. And it great, gave us great reassurance. Thanks to all of the volunteers on the night that helped us out. There's no name on that text. Thank you for that. Listen, John, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. You too. And, and uh, thank you for highlighting this. It's, it's very, very important. Well, that's our pleasure. Listen, stay safe. Uh, Good morning to you. That is John Fitzgerald, Chairman of the Community First Responders, which is the National First Responder Group. Somebody says, hi, Patricia, whoever is doing the damage to those defibrillators should be made to pay for their repair or replacement. It is terrible. And says, Patricia, the people who vandalise defibrillators must be very sick people. They need treatment and they need treatment urgently. And Heidi said, Patricia, these machines being destroyed, can a camera be put in place uh, to be watched by the council? They are. Most of them are monitored by uh, CCTV. But what we need is this new legislation. It's the Life Saving Equipment Bill. It's it's dated 2018. We're still waiting for it to be enacted. And that would impose much stricter sentences and much stricter fines on anyone can convicted of interfering with either a defibrillator or a life boy. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And we're off to Bandon Garda Station for this week's Garda Fire, where I'm joined by Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, Morgan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme now. We start with a burglary, uh, the first of which happened in Balanine. That's correct, Patricia. Um, This burglary uh, happened during the early hours of the morning of the 16th of December last, and it took place in the lawyer area um, between Balanine and Clannacilty. Now, this burglary took place between the hours of 12 midnight on the Wednesday night, between 12 minutes and 9 a.m. on the Thursday morning. And during the course of this burglary, a scrambler motorbike was stolen. Now, this bike is a distinctive orange colour and it's a KTM make. And the letters of the make KTM are written in distinctive large black print, actually, in the body of the bike. So if anyone did come across it, it it would be distinctive with the colour orange and also the print on the side of it. 
And if anyone did observe any activity on the night of the 15th into the 16th in the lawyer area, or indeed the area between Balneen and Clonkidney, or those, that general area, and if any information that might be of benefit to the investment Gardaí, I would ask them to contact the Gardaí at Balneen for investing with them. Okay, a miserable thing to happen before Christmas. And a couple of days later, there was a burglary in the Clonakilty area. That's um, correct, uh, Patricia. Um, in the in Mulligan Street area of Clonakilty, the Gardaí in Clonakilty are investing a burglary, which occurred there. Um, and again, this happened before Christmas, um, on the Saturday night, the 18th, into, again, the early hours of Sunday, the 19th of December. Um, and during the course of the burglary, a number of power tools were removed from the house. And if any of your listeners were in the, the, the Mulaga Street area of Tanakinti on the day, it was a Saturday night, before Christmas, into Sunday, the 19th. Uh, there was any person or any car. Um, or anything suspicious, or indeed if they were offered, uh, anyone in the West Cork area were offered tools for sale, and um, we would ask them to contact the Guardian Tanakinti. Um, and we would appreciate a call on that. Yeah, you always need to be very careful if you're buying second-hand power tools, unless you actually know the person who you're buying them from. You should really question where they came from and do they, do they belong to somebody else? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, now theft of dogs, and this can be heartbreaking for the owners. Uh, one in Kilbritton and one in McCroom, again in the lead up to Christmas. That's true, and again, this incident is in around the same time as the previous one. And I know we've, on your own program, we've highlighted a number of times um, that dogs have been stolen during the pandemic. It seemed to escalate. And again, this week we have two to report since our last um, guard file. So the first one was in the Kilbritton area. Um, and again, we did this report in the early hours of Friday the 17th. So towards the 16th into Friday the 17th, um, a dog was taken during the course of burglary in the Kilbritton area. Now, this dog is described as an American pit bull pup, and it's tanned and white in colour. And at the time of the test, the pup had a patch over its left eye. So again, we're asking anyone who might have been in the Kilbritton area on um, towards the 16th into Friday the 17th, um, our subsequent to that date saw a dog for sale matching the description to the Guardian until Britain or Bandon would appreciate a call on that. Um, and just the second one there that you mentioned, Prisha, um, occurred um, on the 24th of December for the theft of a dog in the Gortine Row area of McCroom. And this dog was described as a black and white collie dog. And again, if anyone saw anything suspicious on the 24th in the Gortine Row area of McCroom. How was that on, or, on Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve was the oh. date. Uh, yeah, uh, report just after that date, but that's the date we'd be the dog was taken. So again, yeah, leading up to Christmas, a very unfortunate. Uh, yeah, dreadful, dreadful. And I mean, a lot of those pe- the pets, even the little pup, and they might have been long with the family, but they become part of the family, and it's it's utterly heartbreaking when they go missing like that when they're when they're stolen. Okay, and uh, let's see if we can have a bit of good news. And uh, we've got you found a sum of money. You're trying to find the owner. That's correct, Patricia. Um, the guardian, Stanley Kilty. Um, I received some money which was found by a member of the public and again this happened in the lead up to Christmas so look um, some poor unfortunate member of the public um, lost uh, some cash in the lead up to Christmas this happened on the 15th of December uh, last and but the, the, the some money was handed to the Guard Station and it says we, ha- we have not located the owners the Gardaí in Tanakinti are anxious to, um, to find that owner and reunite, re- reunite them with their, their money so if anyone in the Tanakinti area who was in the area or might know someone or a family member who might have lost a sum of cash, if they 
contact the Guardian Clinic if they, they can confirm it, it's their money and they will return it to us. Yeah, it'd be great. Great to get it back to the owner and well done to whoever was very honest about handing it in. I love hearing stories like that, that people are just Absolutely. really honest and just straight to the guard the station uh, with it. Now, we've been talking already this morning how the schools have gone back. So the roads certainly were a lot busier this morning than they have been since before uh, Christmas and that's the way it's going to be going forward. There's also a yellow snow and ice warning uh, for later on today which is going to make some driving conditions quite uh, tricky. But people just need to be careful on our roads at Morgan over the coming days and weeks. Yeah, absolutely, as highlighted by your own program, the school's returning and I suppose it is a time of year where a lot of people might take to the roads either cycling or walking in particular um, after the Christmas um, holiday period. So again, we would just ask everyone that who is using the road just to be mindful of other road users. And it was this morning we were keen to see some particularly if they are cycling or walking either to school or for exercise to wear high visibility clothes just so it's safer for themselves and safer for everyone on the road, making it easier on drivers, but obviously bringing um, a, a large element of safety to themselves as well. So it's nothing else, even people going to school or people walking in the evening, there's just to stress the importance of high visibility clothing and torches um, so that basically everyone on the road can look after each other and keep us all safe. Yeah, yeah. And of course, January as well is kind of the month where people start to get, try to get more active if people are trying to lose weight or just to get more fit. So you, we, we will certainly have more people out and about. OK, we, let's share our roads with everybody. Listen, Morgan, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan, who is based at Bandon Garda Station. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls uh, this morning. I mentioned at the top of the programme when I was wishing everybody uh, happy Little Women's Christmas, a uh, happy Nulig Naman. Uh, Michelle was on uh, to say when she heard me mentioning uh, Nulig Naman, she always remembers her grandparents. Her grandmother was from Kerry and her other grandmother was from West Cork and this day to that generation of women was sacrosanct. She said both had grown up with it all of their lives. She said it was a day where the women of the household basically relaxed and enjoyed themselves and did absolutely nothing and it was kind of by way of a thank you to them for how busy they'd been over the Christmas uh, period and it's not recognised or celebrated I think Michelle's point is it's not recognised or celebrated as much as it was for that I don't know what age group you're talking about with your with your grandparents but I'm assuming you were talking pre the 1950s because the piece that I mentioned earlier that's in the examiner today was talking about that it, it, up to the 50s it really was a very popular day for women particularly in those areas Michelle that you mentioned Kerry and West Cork more than any other part of Cork City and County. West Cork was the area that really uh, Nulig Naman was a huge, huge day for women. And then for some reason in the 50s it started to die out a bit and it's only now in recent times that again there's an interest back in it and it's spread to other parts of the country where it had never been uh, celebrated before. So Michelle remembering her two grannies today one from Kerry and one from West Cork and indeed Michelle, happy Nulig Naman to you as well. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
still getting in texts about the e-scooters that we spoke about earlier on the programme and Councillor Derry Canty reckon accidents waiting to happen because of the speed that some of, he says in particular it's teenagers, then young people and using them. He was talking about the regional park in Ballincolic but a number of our listeners are talking about in the county towns, young people on footpaths coming at just amazing speeds they seem to be able to reach on these e-scooters. Avril and Douglas says they all should have insurance but Avril would go further. She feels anyone on a bicycle, even a normal bicycle, everyone should have insurance. She says there's a lot of recklessness going on on our roads and a number of people are saying it's not just on our roads, it's on our footpaths. And listen to this tale uh, from poor old Tony in Bandon to say, Patricia, e-scooters are a nightmare. I am a slow moving person and it's because of Parkinson's. I was coming over the footbridge in Bandon last year. An idiot, and that's all I could call him, came up behind me at the very last second, started shouting at me to move. Patricia, there was no chance that I could move. I'm unsteady on my feet, obviously because of the Parkinson's. And I use a walking stick. Not knowing what to do, I simply just froze. He passed me at a fair speed, causing me then to lose balance and fall. I grabbed the handrail for support. It really did leave me shocked. I ended up having to call my wife to come and pick me up and we simply went home. The sooner laws come in to regulate them, the better. Happy New Year to all in C103 and many happy returns, uh, Tony. That, you know, I'm, I'm sad to read your text, but there's also another part of me is just so annoyed with that person who just thought it was OK to shout, get out of the way, you know, not even realising that you didn't have the speed in which to jump out of the way. And you shouldn't have even needed to have the speed to jump out of the way. You have every right to be on that footbridge. Somebody on a scooter flying at a fair speed doesn't have any right to be on that footbridge. That could have been, you could have been, you could have injured yourself as well. And hopefully it hasn't dented your confidence too much, Tony, and that you are getting out and about as much as you can. Uh, Stay safe and thanks for your text to 0862 103 103. Mary in Rathcool, wishing happy Women's Christmas to all of the ladies listening out there who've worked so hard over Christmas feeding their families, which was something Mary was doing in Rathcool over Christmas. She had 26 in total to feed all on different days because of COVID. Not everyone could gather uh, together. She now finds herself on Nullignaman alone with just her grandson as the girls have gone back to school. And uh, she heard us earlier speaking with the Community First Responders and she says, don't forget and give him a shout out to the community Air Ambulance which of course is very close their base is very close to Mary in Rathcool and Mary says they were extremely busy over the festive season so please say thank you to the community Air Ambulance for all they do as well yeah and you're right we were talking about the community first responders but the community Air Ambulance are another fantastic bunch as are the rapid response groups they're all absolutely amazing and you know the fact that so many of them are volunteers is really incredible that people give up their time and their time spent with families to go out and to help others and to help those that are in need. So glad to do that, Mary. And uh, happy Women's Christmas to you. And hopefully you are enjoying your day as well. And then Gary was on to us to say, while they, this is to do with Golfgate. Yes, Golfgate is back in the news. And it's back in the news because the court case is underway in uh, Galway. Gary said, at the end of the day, we all know what happened in Golfgate. 
it happened. It's now nearly two years ago at, at this stage. People need to move on. Gary's big problem with it being in court today is, is it not a waste of time? Are there not more important court cases that could be taken up today instead of this case, this case? And he's also a bit concerned at the end of the day what will happen? Will anybody pay the price? He said more than likely he reckons what will happen is somebody will just get a slap on the wrist. But Gary is right. The case is against two prominent politicians. There's also two hoteliers before the courts today over what we all now call Golf Gate. It was the dinner that was held. And this is during kind of the early days of the COVID restrictions. It wasn't last year. It was the year before. It was in 2020. The course, the 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 case has been heard at Galway District Court and they reckon it's going to take two days. It's going to be today and tomorrow. It's the independent TD, Noel Grealish. And then there's the former Fianna Fáil Senator, Donny Cassidy. They're the two prominent politicians. And then there's John Sweeney. He's the owner of the Station House Hotel in Clifton, where the golf dinner was held and his son is also in court. His son is the general manager. James is the general manager of the hotel and they're all facing charges in relation to this Aroctus Golf Society dinner which took place at the Station House Hotel in Clifton back in August of 2020. And of course Noel Grealish was the captain of the Aroctus Golf Society at the time and Donny Cassidy was the president so they're deemed I suppose as the organisers of the event. All four men face a similar summons that on the 19th of August 2020 they organised or caused to be organised an event that contravened a penal provision of a regulation made under Section 31A of the HELP Act uh, to prevent limit, minimise or slow the spread of COVID-19. And in case you are interested it does come with quite a hefty fine it's punishable by fines of up to €2,500 and are six months in prison. And in case people are wondering why the trial wasn't heard in Clifton, because they have a courthouse in Clifton, they had to move it to Galway to facilitate the number of witnesses due to attend. And also, obviously, there's a huge media interest. But is Gary right? Is it one of those things at the time we were all talking about it and people were absolutely up in arms. I remember not just this radio programme, there wasn't a radio programme in the country that wasn't inundated with people very annoyed because the majority of us at that time were abiding by all of the rules. People had given up summer holidays, people weren't going out and about. We had older people who at that stage were just coming out of cocooning but felt that they had given up so much of their time and suddenly we had these this group of in the main politicians who were look, being wined and dined and didn't appear to be abiding by the rules that the rest of us were abiding by. Should we, Should is Gary right? Should we just be forgetting about it and say, look, it happened, let's move on. We're in a kind of a, a different phase now, even though we still have restrictions. Um, is Gary right that there are other cases really that should be before the courts and not this one? Are would you be on the other side of the fence and say, look, they broke the law and just because they are politicians or former politicians or hotel owners or hotel managers they should be before the courts because it was breaching the guidelines that were in place at the time. Your thoughts are welcomed on that to uh, 0818 103 103. 
And then somebody else is asking about... No, I'm going to leave that for a moment because I need to do this. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now, unfortunately, in view of the current rising numbers due to the Omicron variant and in the interest of everybody's safety, Kildallery's drive-in bingo, they've decided to cancel it for this Friday, tomorrow night, the 7th, and also for the following Friday, the 14th of January. But bingo is going ahead next Sunday, but that's in Charleville. That will be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And in Escara Community Centre are reminding people that they're looking for your help to keep the centre open. They're asking people to donate to cover the running costs either through their GoFundMe page which is inascara.org or you can drop your donation into the office letterbox. Details of their bank account by the way are also available on our website www.c103.ie Cork Today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie When I mentioned Golfgate which is before the courts today somebody says Patricia wasn't there a lot more politicians involved than just the two you uh, mentioned Absolutely there was a, a huge number involved I mean at the time uh, the scandal was resulted in the resignations of member Phil Hogan. He had to resign. He was a European Commissioner for Trade, the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine. He uh, he had to uh, resign and the Deputy Leader of Fianna Fáil, Dara, Dara Killeary, uh, the last Count Corla of uh, Shanadair and Jerry Bottomer, he was involved. There was a lot of people involved. There was a Supreme Court judge involved as well. But it looks like it's just the organisers of the event. That's why Noel Greeley and Donny Cassidy are before the courts today because Noel Grealish was the captain of the Oireachtas Golf Society and Donny Cassidy was the president so they're seen as the organisers of the event so not everybody who attended is before the courts it just it seems to be those who organised it and obviously then the hotel owner and the general manager his son who's the general manager of the uh, hotel uh, we'll wait to see what happens today it's expected to go on for two days uh, Dermot was listening to me talk about what the punishments are likely or could be it is punishable by a fine of up to two and a half thousand and are six months in prison. Dermot said if those guys are fined, for example, the maximum amount of two and a half thousand, it won't be a huge fine for them. Dermot makes the point for a working class person, two and a half thousand would sound like a lot of money, but he reckons for TDs and hoteliers, uh, two and a half thousand will be little or nothing to them. And that's the maximum fine wise. They could go up this jail is down there as well, though, even though I can't see that happening. But let's uh, wait and uh, see. The John in Cove says, of course, they should be brought before the courts. We all know nothing will happen to them and they will get off. But let's wait and see what the courts have to uh, say yeah uh, it could go on for two days that's what they're expecting because of the huge amount of witnesses now I don't know when they're talking about witnesses is everybody who attended are they all being called as witnesses but that's why it's been moved from Clifton Courthouse they reckon Clifton Courthouse wouldn't be big enough so they moved it to Galway because of the number of witnesses who will have to attend and there is huge media 
interest. So we'll be reading about it and hearing about it certainly over the next uh, two days. And I'm wondering what interest there is in Operation Transformation. That kicked off last night and I already see uh, Betty was on to say wasn't the lady from Cork. She says only one from Cork in Operation Transformation. Wasn't she absolutely lovely? And what a heartbreaking story she had to share last night. And that is a lady by the name of Kathleen Hurley Mullins. She's from Carrig Navarre. Somebody else wants to wish Kathleen all the best on Operation uh, Transformation. A mother of two. She owns a beauty salon and she is a farmer. But I have to say, listening to Kathleen's story last night, talking about her sister who died just a little over a year ago. It was just after Christmas last year that Kathleen and the rest of the family lost her older sister, Susan. And she outlined this absolutely heartbreaking story of Susan and something we've come to know on this programme and we refer to as the silent killer uh, ovarian cancer and God knows we've spoken about it enough on the programme and it looks like Kathleen's sister uh, Susan didn't realise that she had ovarian cancer and by the time she ended up in hospital her body was literally full of tumours. She ended up getting admitted to hospital and 10 days later she passed away. I mean it was just, it was a shocking story that was unveiled by Kathleen and uh, you know she wants to get Susan's story out there but she's also piled on the weight herself and she wants to do something about her uh, weight. Really inspirational woman and you just, you sort of you were, you were, you watched her last night, you were just willing her to do well as indeed with all of the other contestants they all have great backstories to share and they're very open about sharing their stories as well. But I don't know, there's this whole thing about Operation Transformation. I was saying it to John Paul today. I said, did you watch Operation Transformation last night? He said, no, absolutely hate that programme. He just said he, there was a time, he said, when he loved watching it, but now he's completely lost interest in it. I always certainly tune in for that first episode just to see who all of the contestants are. And I normally get sucked in by that. As I say, Kathleen, I was gripped by Kathleen's story yesterday. And now I'm in because I want to see how she and the rest of them are going to get on. But there has been some criticism about Operation Transformation, particularly by the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland, BodyWise, because they say, this was something I hadn't thought about before, but they say a programme like this that is targeted at people losing weight, where you actually put up somebody's weight on the screen and it's all about body size, that it can actually, for somebody who is suffering or is battling with an eating disorder, it can be triggering for people who have those uh, disorders. So BodyWise issued actually an online statement yesterday ahead of the return of the programme last night. BodyWise say that many of their service users have highlighted that they find the show continues to be triggering for them. It causes them distress and it also impacts negatively on their mental health. Now, although the show has a positive objective this is what BodyWise say, and it is intending to bring focus to health and well-being. They say the considerable emphasis that's placed on dieting, on people's body weight, on people's body shape, and then the way that they're measured, collectively counted, and how it's presented. That creates, they say, a community-sanctioned dieting culture. And they say research shows does little to achieve long-lasting weight loss or health promotion. BodyWise added that it uh, contacted the producers of the show requesting that they consider a more inclusive approach 
Also, that they signpost to support users and that they add disclaimers around the content. The organisation says it cannot ignore the fact that hospital admission for young people with eating disorders rose by 66% in 2020 and by 32% amongst adults when they were compared with the 2019 figures. So unfortunately, the pandemic has been bad for a lot of reasons, but unfortunately, it really did trigger a rise in eating disorders to the point where people ended up needing hospitalisation. Bodywise says that the programme, supported by public health initiatives such as Operation Transformation, need to take account of the audience watching at home. They also need to ensure that there's appropriate signposting information and they say they need to do that at the very least. Now Operation Transformation uh, has come out and said that they've evolved over the years and they encompass what they say now is a holistic approach to maintaining a healthy lifestyle as well as losing weight. The statement added that Healthy Ireland commissioned independent research to evaluate the effectiveness of the programme and they say the results were quite positive of the people who watched on previous years 74% of people said they made at least one or two positive lifestyle changes as a direct result of watching the programme and over 98% this is of the people who watched the programme said they were likely to continue with the healthy uh, behaviour 63% said that they'd made changes with their households and with their families so they say look we've done our research and there are positives out of it the one thing I was really thrilled to see uh, last night when, when I watched it they seem to have done away with the Lycra underwear and that they used to make all of the contestants or the participants come out wearing. And I remember talking with um, my um, a GP of mine many years ago and how it came up in conversation about Operation Transformation but he made that point that he his big the the big thing he had against the programme was he felt it was fat shaming people by bringing them out in their underwear. I mean, it's hard enough for the people to apply for this programme. I mean, anyone applying for a programme like Operation Transformation admits that they have an issue with their weight and that they need help. And that's it's a very brave thing to go forward and say, I need help and I'm willing to do it with cameras following me and I'm willing to do it with the whole of the country uh, watching it. And for the majority of the people who take part, they will tell you that it is a very, very positive uh, experience. But I've always felt making the men and the women come out in the lycra, you know, shorts and little cropped tops and the bellies hanging out, I always felt, was there any real need uh, to do that? So I was really delighted to see last night, it seems to be just leggings and t-shirts they're, they're wearing. You still get the effects. You can still see that these people are overweight. But it isn't quite, I think, as bad. Now, maybe that's just me but I, I, I never ever liked that and I think ha- asking people to come out in the, the like underwear I think possibly in the past turned off people who might have liked to have applied and they never the producers will say they never have any problems getting people to uh, apply uh, but certainly again there is it five or six of uh, five leaders uh, last night uh, all Every one of them, you want to will them to do well because of their backstories. And I think t- to me, that's what makes uh, the programme. I love hearing the backstories, but certainly uh, I was very emotional watching our own um, our Cork representative. And I know they don't. There's all, there always seems to be one from Cork, but uh, Kathleen Hurley Mullins from Carrick Navarre, we wish her nothing but the best of luck on the, the programme because it's a difficult thing she's doing, bearing in mind that, her, you know, she's only... 
within a week or two celebrated the first anniversary of her beautiful sister passing away so it's, it's a tricky difficult time for Kathleen and her family as well so your thoughts on that Operation Transformation are you with me and that you enjoy the show or are you with John Paul who just doesn't watch it anymore just does not like the nature of the programme doesn't find it interesting and doesn't watch our lines are open John Paul's taking the calls at 0818 103 103. Also looking for you if you've got a question for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, to give Jane a call or you can text her WhatsApp your questions now, please, to 08. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 62103103. 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Okay, and we are just waiting to get Jane on uh, line. Uh, John Paul is just getting her there. A lot of people saying, yeah, to, well done to uh, Kathleen last night on Operation Transformation. She is going to be a great leader, somebody says. And somebody else says there, uh, there's another Cork contestant or uh, participant or not contestants online Norma Taylor from Castle Magna oh have they done online ones as well I, did, I didn't realise that okay I'll check that out thank you uh, for that okay questions please for Jane Pickett our resident vet you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 or you can call John Paul at 0818 103 103 Jane uh, joins me from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group uh, good afternoon to you Jane 
Good afternoon, Patricia. And a happy new year to you. And likewise. <laughs> Did you manage to survive Christmas COVID free? You know, I feel very lucky to say yes, yeah. thankfully. Yeah, it's a scary time, so it is. Yeah, the amount of uh, people who uh, every second person seemed to have seem to have it. We seem to be the lucky ones who did manage to escape. And fingers crossed, yeah. we can we can continue. Actually, just on that, somebody said, "Can pets get COVID?" Well, this is very interesting because it, the situation is developing all of the time. So the current theory on it is no, they can't become clinically affected in the same way that humans do. And we do know that certainly on the continent, they've demonstrated that COVID is infecting certain zoo animals, but they obviously wouldn't be in the wider population and in contact with the public. So it's of of lesser public health concern. Um, So no, they don't seem to be kind of a carrier of disease. There doesn't seem to be a, a, a huge amount of, let's say, infection with pests in the household. But as the situation changes and as the strains develop, we're obviously keeping a, a very close eye on the research just in case. Because it's a little bit like, say, for example, when a cat gets cat flu. That's Is that a very different virus to the flu you or I would get? It can be. So cats can get cat flu in a number of different ways. Some of them are bacterial, so bacterial causes the flu, and some of them are viral. But they'd be quite a different virus to the COVID virus. So most commonly in cats, it's herpes virus. So the same kind of virus, essentially, that, that causes cold sores in us. It's a similar type of family to that. Um, or caliche virus, um, which will be kind of something quite unique to cats that humans don't seem to get quite a lot. So they can get cat flu in a very similar way. And a lot of the time it is viral and it causes very similar symptoms. So runny noses, cough, uh, sometimes a pneumonia. Sometimes runny eyes in cats is a very common symptom of flu, but um, quite quite a different virus to the COVID virus as we know it. But hence the reason there's a vaccine, isn't there, for cat flu? There is indeed, yeah. So vaccinating cats is normally something we suggest quite young in life before they're exposed to these viruses. So they have some immunity. So normally vaccination in kittens usually takes place from about nine weeks of age onwards. And it's a two-dose um, regime, very similar to the COVID vaccine in a way. Um, and I suppose very similar to us needing boosters of the COVID vaccine. Cats will need boosters of their cat flu vaccine as well. And it's normally annually for them just to keep their immunity topped up. Because unfortunately, the little cat flu viruses that can occur once they enter the system and in, let's say, in an unvaccinated cat, they can take hold and cause cat flu symptoms, which will sometimes settle down and be controlled for a wee while, but will be hiding away deep down in the body, not causing any any grief. And then during periods of stress, sometimes we'll see the virus rise up again and cause symptoms. So it can be something that lingers around and causes a little bit of trouble for kitty cats that, that haven't been vaccinated if they are unlucky enough to be exposed to these viruses. So it's definitely worth getting done for your little cat. OK, stay on vaccinations because Jonathan says they are getting a new puppy next month in February. Is it true that we shouldn't take the puppy out until he's fully vaccinated, i.e. out in public where he can meet with other dogs? Yeah, it's definitely safest too. It really depends on what vaccination brand your vet and your pup, your vet will be using for your puppy. Most vaccination brands would uh, suggest that until they've had their second vaccination a week or two weeks and, and for some components of the vaccine up to three weeks after their second vaccination, they shouldn't be going into, into certain areas. So I know, let's say, for example, the vaccine that we use, we would recommend that a week after their second vaccination, they could, let's say, walk down the town and maybe beat another dog. But it will be another three weeks beyond that after their second vaccination where we would say, look, they could go for a walk in woodland. And that's because the immunity inferred by the vaccine takes a little while to develop. And there's seven different components in, in the vaccine that we give to dogs. And one in particular, lepto, so leptospirosis, 
um, which is something that's spread by rats. It generally lives in waterways. So that's why we say, you know, wait an extra few weeks before taking them to woodland waterways or even the local island wood um, site near ourselves is usually a place we avoid because it takes a little while for that abibishis to develop and we want those puppies to be protected from serious disease. Okay, Sean says, hi, my dog is constantly licking her paws. What could be causing this? So it's obviously something new that the dog is doing. Okay, so common things are common. I think the first thing you need to do is make sure parasite prevention is up to date. Um, That means just visiting your vet, asking what they'd recommend as regards parasite control for your pet. Or if you do have a parasite control program in place, just absolutely making sure with your vet that it's up to date so your regime is as it should be for the product. And that could be sometimes monthly for some spot-on products or up to three months for some tablet products. It really depends on the brand, so it's definitely worth checking that you're doing it right. There are many other causes of itchy paws and itchy skin. And what I will say is itchy paws is usually a symptom of a wider itchy everything as regards skin problem. It just means that the paws are easy for them to get at and lick, so they tend to focus on them. Sometimes it can be a bacterial infection or a yeast overgrowth. And sometimes it can even be an allergy to something out there, whether it be food or something in the environment like a pollen or a dander. There are a wide variety of things that could cause itchy feet. So I would say for this one, make sure your parasite control is up to up to date and then visit your vet. You probably need to take some initial samples to look at underneath the microscope to get to the bottom of, well, you know, what might be causing this problem. Or they might even suggest referral on to a pet dermatologist, so that's a skin specialist, so that, let's say, other underlying causes such as allergies could be investigated. It's definitely worth taking action on this because, you know, itchiness can cause quite a lot of distress for our pets and we want to make them as comfortable as possible. Kathleen in Balancolic has an interesting one. Says, what does Jane make of Fitbits for dogs? She's seen them for sale online. Are they a wise investment? They say that they monitor a pet's health. They're worn like a collar around the dog's uh, neck. The one huge advantage to them, though, says Kathleen, is they've got GPS. So if your dog gets lost, you're able to locate your dog uh, quickly. Interested in Jane's thoughts on them. Uh, Kathleen says, I don't know if they're on sale in Europe yet, but I've certainly seen them advertised in the States. Have you heard of those? Oh, well, that is a really interesting one. So I think certainly the GPS on the collar sounds like a fabulous idea. And I suppose in addition to that, just making sure your pet is microchipped just in case they did go missing and they did throw the collar off. That sounds like a really interesting idea. As for the accuracy of, let's say, um, the, the health parameter, so very much like we'd wear a Fitbit, I haven't read the research myself, so that's something I might actually take a little look into. I don't know off the top of my head how accurate they are. And I suppose the thing is, if you're going to be spending you know, a reasonable amount of money on a fitness wearable for your pet, you want to know that it's actually going to be giving you correct measurements and that it will be of use. So I'll take a little look into okay, it. Okay, and let us, let, let us know. Let us know. Hi, question for Jane, please. My little palm had mites over Christmas. Black bits like dirt appeared all over and she started scratching like mad. I showered her with a doggy medicated shampoo and I ended up putting some pseudocreme on her ears. No more scratching since. But I'm now wondering, what do I need to treat her with? Is there a spray, etc.? Thanking you, that's from Kate. Okay, um, so this is an interesting one. There could be a few things going on here. From what our listener describes as little bits of black dirt and dust, I would be concerned that this might actually be a flea infestation. Now, if you visited the vet and they've diagnosed mites, then that could well be the case. It would just be, you know, better to see it in person to know exactly what the problem is. I think this little dog certainly needs parasite prevention on an ongoing basis. 
the one word of warning I would have is if you're going to use a medicated parasite shampoo, if you're going to get one, get it from get it from your vet. Um, and normally we wouldn't recommend them because obviously when you're washing them, they, sometimes the dogs will drink them and they can be very harmful. So normally we would recommend either a tablet parasite control or a spot-on parasite control to control um, parasite infestations. But look, if the itching has settled down for the meantime, then that's great. But I would really pop her into her vest for a little check over, make sure all signs of infestation have settled down and that the skin is in a good condition and just discuss with them parasite prevention longer term because it really is much easier to prevent these parasites than to cure them. And obviously, in preventing them, you're avoiding a lot of stress and, and pain for your pet. So it's really the best thing to do. And again, you're back to the scratching and you know yourself, if you've got a niche mm-hmm. somewhere, it would drive you a cuckoo. Now, somebody has a Jack Russell female pup one year old. Uh, what they've noticed is if when you, if you try to take something from her, she can show her teeth sometimes. Is that normal in a one year old Jack Russell? Um, Bearing the, the situation. teeth. Yeah. Yeah. If it's food, um, potentially not so much. I suppose the thing is, you have to think about well, how happy would how happy would you be if you sat down to the dinner table for your Christmas dinner and somebody came along and took it away from you? You probably wouldn't be very happy. But if it's objects that she's becoming very protective of and aggressive over, you know, at one year of age, aggression is never a normal thing in a dog. And um, what I would say is, it's best to tackle this early and get some really good guidance. I would ask your vet who locally they would recommend as a veterinary behaviourist because a lot of the time it will start with guarding objects and the aggression will escalate into other situations. So really catching it when it's nice and contained at this point and the behaviour is quite minimal and dealing with it now with correct advice is the way to go because it'll, it'll, it'll avoid a lot of heartache later on. But this is not a, not a simple situation to deal with so I think expert help may be required. Okay, and finally, Deborah is in Carrick Tuhill. Her cat has developed a sore on one ear. It actually started to bleed. She's an indoor cat. She doesn't go outside, so it's not that she scratched it off anything. Nine-year-old cat, what would cause an ear to, a sore to appear and for it to actually bleed? Okay, so there's a few things that could be causing a problem here. So first and foremost, it could be self-trauma. So a lot of cats that I would see with, let's say, um, wounds on the outer ear or the inner ear would be because they've been scratching at their ears because they might have, let's say, an infection or an infestation with parasites deep down in the ear canal where you can't see it. So that would be very, very top of my list as the most common thing. And that definitely requires a trip to the vet for diagnosis. There are some rarer things that can cause sores. So I suppose your listener was saying about trauma, that's a possibility. But given that she's an indoor cat, less likely. There are some rarer masses or tumours that can grow on the ears, particularly in little cats, called squamous cell carcinoma. But these are really quite rare and I wouldn't worry. Um, it would be best to visit your vet to get it checked out. If they needed to take a sample of the sore, if it's a raised lump, they'd be able to do that just to, to get a, a final diagnosis on what it is. But I suspect it may actually be a, a wider symptom of a, an ear canal disease, so an ear infection. And so e- and, uh, yeah, ear and even though... Uh, uh, this person didn't see them doing or Deborah didn't see the cat scratching they could have been scratching when you weren't around you don't necessarily exactly. have seen it okay. cats All are right. very secretive alright listen have a great week Jane and we'll chat to you next week
too. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you. Talk to you tomorrow 10. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.